any of you that are in the focus group that did not get the questionnaire um, from me for discussion questions for today, you can get that after service. You don't have to fill it out. It's more about just reading the questions before you come in the afternoon uh, so that we have stuff to talk about. So you're thinking about it. You might jot down a couple notes. And if you're not officially in the focus group and you just want to come hang out at 445 uh, and join in the conversation, you're welcome to. Uh, ultimately, what the 445 uh, meeting is going to be about is applying the message this morning. So one of our biggest uh, difficulties as Christians is we hear messages, but then we don't apply the message. And so uh, 445, we're going to kind of take what we learned today and try to help apply it to our lives in specific ways and have some good discussion about it in the process. I confess that as I start this, I am overwhelmed with the uh, responsibility and task and have prayed for the Lord to help me and am depending upon him. I have studied this subject for now uh, approximately four, five, six years. I've dreamed of writing a book on uh, spiritual adoption for a long time. Um, and so I, this is heavy on my heart, and I've read tons and tons of books and tons and tons of passages, and I've even memorized passages in the Bible just to help me to understand it better. And I feel like I've got a a million things to say, and I and I don't want to dump truck you. I don't want to just dump all this information on you. So I'm praying that I'll be clear, and I'm praying that you're going to be an edified church. And if there's anyone here that's not a believer, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that you will hear the glorious good news of our Father who loves you, and you will turn to him and find the joy of being his child. And... I'm praying that my Father in heaven is glorified. So this is all about Him. I'm hoping that He will be glorified. So let's get started. As most of you know, we are in the process of adopting a little boy from China. Samuel is right now, at this time, probably laying in his bed in an orphanage on the other side of the planet, hopefully sleeping well. He's totally unaware of how desperate his situation is. It is the world he has always lived in. He has never had a mother or a father. He was abandoned by his family when he was four months old. He has never owned his own clothes. He has never owned one toy. He has not been treated the way children are supposed to be treated by their parents. His father has never held him in his firm but secure arms. His mother has never spent hours singing and rocking him to sleep. He has been in an orphanage for most of three years. Samuel, who is presently now known as Zhao Jing, is just one of hundreds of orphans in the orphanage. He gets served, but there are only so many hands to go around. 
Growing up in an orphanage can't be easy. Can't be an easy life. Russell Moore speaks in, in his book, Adopted for Life, about the conditions. He and his wife found their two little boys the first time they met them in Russia. I think you should all read the book, by the way, Adopted for Life. It's a great book. He states this, For a couple of seconds, my mind flashed back to the first time I ever saw these two boys. They were lying in excrement and vomit, covered in heat blisters and flies, in an orphanage somewhere in the mining community in Russia. Maria and I had applied to adopt and had gone on the first two trips, not knowing if anyone would find, we would find waiting for us. More continues. A Russian judge told us she had two gray-hide boys picked out for us, both of whom had been abandoned by their mothers to a hospital in a little village about an hour from where we were staying. Sure enough, the orphanage authorities, through our translators, cataloged a terrifying list of medical problems, including fetal alcohol syndrome, for one, if not both of the boys. We looked at each other as if to say, this is what the Lord has for us, so here we go. The nurse led us up some stairs down a dark hallway and into a tiny room with two beds. He goes on, I can still see the younger of the two, now Timothy, rocking up and down against the bars of his crib, grinning widely. The older... Now Benjamin was more reserved, stroking my five o'clock shadow with his hand and seeing, as I came to realize, a man most probably for the very first time in his life. Both the boys had hair matted on their heads, and one of them had crossed eyes. Both of them moved slowly and rigidly. End quote. In a similar way, our son Samuel is presently in a horrible state. But he really has no idea how bad his condition is. Samuel is really not going to understand how bad his condition is until he is rescued out of the orphanage. He will not know how hard it really is in the orphanage until he experiences the love of his mother and father. This week we sent Samuel a small photo album for his birthday, another boy in July, with ten pictures of his new family. You can't send clothes or toys because it becomes community property and he probably wouldn't play with it even once. So we sent him a photo album of his family. And they sent a picture to us. He saw with his own eyes for the first time his mother and his father. However, I got to thinking about this. As I looked at the picture of Samuel standing next to a person holding the photo next to him, Samuel looked so sad. Samuel was has absolutely no idea what a father is. 
He has no clue what a mother's love is. He has never known one. His father and a mother abandoned him probably because Samuel had health issues and they could not provide for him. He is an orphan boy in a lost world with a lost father. His condition is just like our own spiritual condition that we are all born into when we come into this world. We are born dead in sin. We are wretched sinners. We're in a bad condition. But part of the deception of our dead state is we don't realize just how lost we are. We are all born spiritual orphans without hope in a dark world with an evil father. We think all there is is all we see. We think we're pretty good. We think the best this world has to offer is all there is. We crave and desire all the world has to offer. We, we are absorbed with our fleshly desires. We are led by an invisible, wicked father who hates us, but he uses us to mock the creator God. We are orphan pawns in a lost and dying world. That's the world we are all born into. This is our condition at birth. We need hope. The amazing thing is, there is a Father who loves us despite our condition. Even though we don't seek Him. And even though we don't see Him. He loves us even though we don't acknowledge Him. He loves us even though we don't... Even when He reveals Himself to us through creation, we continue to reject Him. And He has ordained to rescue His children. Praise God, right? Before we are adopted, we hate God the Father. But He loves us anyway. That's what Ephesians 2, 1-3 screams. Today we begin our journey to understand and enjoy a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. In order for us to fully understand just how much our Heavenly Father loves us, we need to know just how horrific our state of a state we were in before our adoption. What determines the glory of a rescue is the length at which the rescuer will go to save the needy. And God, the Father, went a distance we can't even comprehend. He sent his son to die in our place. That is love. So today, we will look at spiritual orphans unaware and also examine the radical adopting love of our God and Father when we first believed. Notice we will focus on five marks of our desperate state as spiritual orphans before God radically rescued us from the domain of darkness. First, we will see we were spiritually dead orphans. Second, we will see we were worldly influenced orphans. 
Third, we will see that we were satanically directed orphans. Fourth, we will see we were sinfully saturated orphans. And finally, we will see we were justly condemned orphans. There is beneficial tension in the word choice, orphan, being used to describe our total depravity. Total depravity can kind of sometimes be a little harsh, right? We can just say, oh, well, you know, we see somebody die and we say, well, they're totally depraved sinner. Move on. And we can often think total depravity and become callous to the world. But the word orphan fits much better. The tension reveals that despite our total depravity, there is a sense where we are all victims. When we look at an orphan, no matter who they are, we are obviously burdened by the human being in a hopeless state. Yet at the same time, Paul calls us to see every human as a spiritually dead sinner. So we are victims, but we are also what? Responsible for our actions. We need to understand that humanity is not only image bearers that are totally depraved sinners. They are also totally depraved sinners. We are image bearers, but we're sinners. We are all born wicked to the core. You're looking at the worst sinner right here. We are all born with a conscience. But because of Adam, our great, great ancestor, the human race is so sinful that we suppress our conscience and we reject our creator. That's who we are. All of us. So there's clearly a tension here. Lost humans are image-bearing orphans, but we are also totally depraved sinners. That's how we're born. We must understand the totality of the picture of ourselves before salvation in order to fully understand how much our Heavenly Father loves us. That He considers adopting us and making us co-heirs with His Son is truly amazing love. And by the way, this knowledge of who we were before salvation should be remembered regularly. We should understand who we are or who we were. We must reflect on that because it will give us an amazing amount of love for the world that we live in and compassion towards those that we live with. We must remind ourselves of who we were before Christ or we will forget just how much God loves us in Christ. This letter is written to the solid church in Ephesus. It is written to the church Paul planted in Asia Minor. It is written to a church that knew the deeper things of God. A comparison between this letter and the church of Colossae makes that clear. Both letters have a similar have similar topics. But the depth to which Paul delves makes it clear Ephesus was the most mature church of the two. This letter, the book of Ephesians, is my favorite book of the Bible. I set out, and I think I memorized the first three chapters, but in the process I've forgotten it, so don't come up and ask it. I worked on it for months trying to memorize the book. 
It is an amazing book of the Bible. Out of all the epistles in the New Testament, the title Father is used more often in this epistle than any other epistle except for 1 John. The Heavenly Father is identified by the title Father nine times. Look in your Bibles. One, two. God, our Father. One, three. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One, seventeen. The Father of glory. 2.18, the Father we have access to. 3.14, the Father Paul bows his knee before. 4.6, the one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 5.20, the Father... We give thanks to for all things. 623, the Father who provides peace and love with faith. This is our heavenly Father. It is a book filled with spiritual family language. I don't have time to show you all the passages in this book that point to this family language, spiritual family language. But I I, I challenge you. Try reading through the book of Ephesians and mark all the places any spiritual family terms are used. He, the book is filled with it. And I think it, would, it, it will shock you as you start reading through the New Testament over the next 12 weeks. I want you to try to take note of every time you see any time a spiritual family term is used. Because it's everywhere in the New Testament. I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about sonship and God is our father. And then I started looking at all the passages in the Bible and I said, oh, that's a five-year study. That isn't a 12-week study. It's everywhere. And I think the reason behind this idea of fatherhood, sonship, daughterhood, children of God, heirs of God, all these things, adoption, all these I think the reason why it's mentioned is because it is the language of the new covenant. It's what a new covenant relationship is all about. We now know God as our Father, individually, and we enjoy Him. We have a relationship with Him, just like a child has with his father, if it's being done the proper way. The more I read, the more I'm convinced It's all about our relationship with God as our Father. You know, I have many fears and many concerns that I have to put to death. But I put them to death at the throne of grace as I approach my Father. I call on my Father, Abba Father, help me to trust you. Help me to depend upon you. He is our life. He's what we're about. We abide in Him always. He's our Father. But again, we don't understand the fullness of this until we come to understand just where we came from. We were spiritual orphans. Look at these passages. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. We were spiritually dead orphans. It states, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is a summary explanation of the previous state of our previous state. 
I don't have time to fully develop it. It starts with the word and, but leave it at this. Paul is in the middle of a long explanation of the power of God at work in his children, in his heirs. Paul is explaining just what an amazing work of God is being displayed by bringing sinners into a loving relationship with God. He's showing off the power. And he starts with the power on display in individuals. This is what it looks like for God to make us his children. It's a demonstration of his power, which is also a demonstration of his love. And you were dead. This is who a believer is before Christ. This is who we were. We were in the, spirit, the state of spiritual death. We were unable to honor and enjoy and glorify our Creator. These three verses are all preparatory to the glorious good news of verse 5. The main verb in the whole section is in verse 5, where it says, We were made alive with Christ. The contrast is startling. We were dead, but He made us alive. It's good news. We were dead, but now we are alive. And He's our Father. Our spiritual death affected every part of our lives, as we will see. We operated or existed in the realm of our trespasses and sins. It is extremely important to understand this spiritual darkness because it shows that there was nothing inherently good about us before salvation. Nothing. And what's, wait, what makes the spiritual morbidity so bad is we didn't think we were dead. Right? I had several of you send me pictures. I was gonna, I'm putting together a video. I had several of you put, send pictures to me of what you looked like before you became a believer. If you looked at the pictures, I have to admit, just looking at the pictures, most of the pictures, I couldn't tell the difference between the way you were and the way you are. You look at the picture and you say, oh, yeah. Now, some of them were baby pictures, and that you obviously grew up. <laughs> but if you looked at the baby picture, you would have said what? Looked like, like the babies that were right here. You know, you can't tell they're dead sinners. You don't look at them and say, oh, that, you know, that's, a, that's an orphan. That's a spiritual orphan. You can't look at that and see it just with the eye. But that's what makes the death, deadness that we were in before salvation so wicked and so scary. Before we become a believer, guess what? We don't think we're dead. We think we're fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. But we are spiritual zombies. We were like little Samuel. We're like little Samuel, totally clueless to how difficult he has it. Completely clueless. But then those words, but God, verse 4, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Praise God, right? Dead people became alive. 
What a God. What a Father. Somebody I want to serve. How about you? I want to obey Him. And I want to tell others about Him. Why? Because I was dead and now I'm alive. Because He made me alive. I'm no longer an orphan. Praise God. What a good God. But Notice also we were worldly focused orphans. First. Two, it says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Walked is a metaphor for how we lived, our lifestyle, the way we carried out our day-to-day activities in this world. It's important to note the adverb here, formerly. <laughs> this was the way we were living, formerly. Not the way we are presently living, but the way we used to live and walk. We walked according to the values of the world, the age of this world. We thought like the world. We desired what the world desired. We lived like the world. Even if we were being raised in a Christian home, in our hearts we still looked more like the world than than our believing parents that we lived with. Before we're believers, folks, we are worldly. I don't care who you are, where you're raised, you're worldly. Did you know that? You can be raised with the best parents in the world. You can hear the gospel every day. But you're still following after the course of the world. How do I know this? Because the Bible says it. The Bible is the one that describes your heart better than you think you know your heart. Why do I know that this is our condition before Christ? If you would have asked me when I was 8, 9, 10, don't ask my brother, but ask anybody else, they would have said, is he worldly? No, he's a pretty good kid. I mean, pretty much obeys. He argues a little bit with his parents. But they didn't see me beating up my brother in the other room. I was following after the course of the world. But I know God's word says real simple. I was worldly. I was a worldly orphan. Again, one of our biggest problems, even after we are saved, is we look at the world, we look out at the world, and we judge certain hearts and appearances, and we think, wow, that's a pretty good guy. Or we say, wow, that lady that goes to that not-so-good church, she looks a lot better, and she doesn't look like the world. She's She's probably a Christian. She's probably a believer, even though she goes to a church where she's never hearing the gospel. Why? Because we judge. We look out at the world, and we determine based on what? What we see. Instead of what? What the Word says. The Word tells us who we are outside of Christ. However, we need to understand what determines if a person is worldly and led by the world is not always how it appears from the outside. And again, no one is innocent. No matter how much they say kind things, and even have encouraging, uplifting words. We are all born spiritual orphans and worldly focused. 
This is every human being born since Adam except for one, Jesus Christ. And you're looking at the worst of the sinners right here. I'm him. We all walk according to the course of the world. We're all born dead in our sin. That's who we are. But God, being rich in mercy, being wealthy in compassion, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. And all God's people say, So we were spiritually dead orphans, worldly influenced orphans. And next we see we were satanically directed orphans. Now this one's shocking. Look at this, folks. We formerly walked, and then he adds an according, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is one of the hardest truths to embrace about our previous status. We can see our sin pretty much, right? You look back at your old life, can you see your sin? Even when we were dead in our sins, occasionally we'd say we were sinners, right? We would say, yeah, I sinned, I blew it, I messed up. We can see that we are just like the world. We say, yeah, of course, I look like my parents, I act like my parents, I'm just like my parents. Yeah, I'm worldly. But ask any unbeliever, who is your father? (laughs) Ask any believer, who leads you? How many of them are going to say, oh, well, I'm directed by Satan. (laughs) The devil is my father. Nobody says that. Except for maybe a couple of those, you know, really crazy ones that literally worship Satan. But we all look at them in our deadness and say, I'm not a devil worshiper. That's again the enemy, isn't he? Nobody would say, I'm a child of Satan, a son of disobedience, under the influence and direction of the devil himself, described here as the prince of the power of the air. We were, beloved, under the active authority of the God of this world that is presently working in the sons of disobedience. Do you understand? This is the world we live in. This is arguably the greatest deception in all the world. Satan is able to deceive people into thinking that they are in control of their own life when in fact he is leading them everywhere they go. That is shocking, isn't it? Do you, when you turn on the news and you're watching the news, you think, oh, there's another Satan follower. Everything that comes out of the news and media, do we go, oh, it's most likely a Satan follower. We don't think that, do we? But this is how the Bible describes the world we live in. We can see this deception is clearly in several passages, but I want you to look at one. Look over at John chapter 8. This is amazing. John chapter 8, verse 34. 
Jesus is interacting with the Jewish religious leaders. He's interacting with them, and he says these words. It is, it, 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 it's almost like, wow, what an illustration of this. Look at this. 834. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, now these are religious people, folks. These are religious people. These are the people that the whole country would have said, they are holy people. That's what they would have said. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Oh, they caught on, right? Oh, 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 oh. No, wait, 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 wait. Our father is who? God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and have come forth from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative. But he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. I think he laid it out there. What do you think? He just said, your father is the devil. Religious people. It's clear, isn't it? Jesus exposes the satanically led heart of his accusers. And we are born with the same heart problem. We're born with the same heart problem as these Pharisees. Everybody in this room is born with the same heart problem. Me, especially. I was born... And my father was the devil, was an enemy of God, but God. Look at this verse. These verses are amazing. 1 John 3, 7. John, the apostle says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. 
just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil is, has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because the seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So here we have it, right? There really are two groups in the world, children of God and children of the devil. The line is very clear. And the part that should shock us when we watch the news is something totally different than what we think. Listen to me, folks. This is so important. We were all children of the devil also. Remember Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Who was the enemy? Us. We were the enemies. We were the children of the devil. This information should change the way we look at the world. First, it should help us to realize how blind the world is to their own problem. We didn't know we were children of the devil at the time, did we? Did we know that we were enemies of God? We were clueless about our salvation. The world is clueless also. Second, it should give us some real pause when listening to the world's interpretation of things. The verse means the vast majority of the world is what? Led by Satan. That's scary. And third, it should cause us to have an overwhelmingly, overwhelming sense of gratitude for everyone who has been rescued out of the domain of darkness. Beloved, saying thanks to the Father is easy for us. Gratitude is not a problem for me and you, is it? For all of us that have been born again and know God has delivered us, what do we say? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Has the news shocked you these last couple weeks? Again, this week happened again. More sadness and death. We wonder, how in the world can a man drive a truck down a road filled with kids watching fireworks displays, and kill 80 people, 10 of them children, with a truck. Who does that? It's crazy. Doesn't it seem crazy? It's shocking. But folks, listen to me closely. Listen closely. Please listen. When we read verses like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, When we read verses like this, and we realize who is the father of most of the world, we should be shocked that it's not happening more. There should be murders 
all the time. Why aren't there more? Why isn't there one every... Oh, there is abortion. Does the world grieve you? Does it shock you? The longer I live here and the more I know what this book says, the less I'm shocked. I'm actually expecting something else to happen this week. It's going to be bad because Satan is the father of the world and he hates God. But here's when you get it. This is when you get this passage. Now listen to me closely. When you realize that apart from God's Grace, you are that terrorist truck driver. You don't get to one to three until you realize you are that murderer. That's who we are. Or at least that's who we were. But God, (laughs) it's amazing. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, because of his sacrificial commitment towards us to predestine us to be adopted, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive in Christ. And all believers say, Hallelujah! Because I am that truck driver. We are not under Satan's direction anymore. Why? Because of the gospel. Because God saved us. Because God made us alive. We were orphans. But he saved us. He adopted us. He made us alive. Fourth, we were sinfully saturated orphans. Notice among them, we too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of mind. How did we live in this previous state? What influence did the world have in us and Satan have in us and the dead hearts have over us? Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Among them, among who? It's the verse before, the sons of disobedience. We lived among them, we were them. Mentioned in the previous verse, we were sons and daughters characterized by disobedience. Unbelievers disobey God because they are dead in sin. No, listen, we weren't as bad as we could be. I admit that. Not all of us are as bad as we could have been before we were saved, right? Praise God, right? Common grace. No, we didn't disobey our parents all the time. 
No, we didn't murder everyone we disagreed with. But the only reason we didn't was because of God's common grace. Because of His sovereign influence in the world. His restraining influence in the world. He used our conscience to protect us many times. But the conscience only works as long as God keeps us from being handed over to our degrading passions. And this is so crucial. Because as you are handed over to your degrading passions, you say, kids in the room, you're saying, I'm not lost, I'm not bad, I'm a pretty good person, I'm okay, no big deal. Move out from mom and daddy's house. Move away. That's why we see people that profess to be Christians. They move out away from their protection of their home where God has divinely put beautifully gracious parents to say, oh, don't do that when that way will get you in trouble. And you step out and what happens? You blow your life up. Why? Because of the degrading passions. And as we spiral down into our sin, what happens? Our conscience is more and more seared and debauchery reigns and what do we have america america debauchery reigns why because it appears so clearly that god has done this the desires of the flesh can totally destroy any evidence of the Creator in your life. And we can continue to pursue those fleshly desires and our conscience will be seared. I recently had a conversation with one of my relatives. He said, moral behavior is only learned. Kids all start out with an innocent, clean slate. If they're taught good, then guess what? They'll grow up to be good. If they're taught bad they'll grow up to be bad. What is that? Hogwash. (laughs) Why is it hogwash? Because the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately sick. The Bible says that we are wicked beyond comprehension. And yes, our conscience can be trained, and I do, a, I do my best to train my children's conscience. And all parents, that you're going to train your kids' conscience. Aren't you going to do that? That's why you believe in what? Corporal punishment. We believe in spanking. Why? Because we love our kids, and we want their conscience to work really good. But mark my words. Kids do not become born again, made alive by God. Their lives will end eventually in death and total separation from God. And all out sin. Nobody in hell is going, I think I'll start being good. Everybody in hell is cursing God all the time. Their hearts are given over completely to separation from God. That's a scary thing, isn't it? I do agree that we need to train those conscience, but you need to understand that unless God makes them alive, 
it's going to end bad. I know when we look at these little babies, they were cute, weren't they? Bunch of cute babies. But beloved, those are depraved sinners. Dead, lost sinners. I'm sorry. Apollos has a wonderful name, but he's a totally depraved orphan. He needs Jesus. So why us? But God. Being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He had for us. Even when we were dead in our transgression, He made us alive. And finally we see we were justly condemned orphans. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the wrath rest. Beloved, when we look at this verse, it should humble every single one of us. Because what it says is we were by nature children or objects of God's wrath. God was angry with us all the time. Time. All the time. Can you imagine? Tell your little baby, God's angry with you all the time. We were born into the family of wrath. We were people trapped in a burning house. Our hearts, our minds, our souls were totally unable to glorify God. And please Him in any way outside of rebirth. We were children headed for wrath. We deserved to die immediately. And to suffer eternal separation from God forever. We deserved hell. You cannot understand the glory of being made an adopted child, until you understand these first three verses. These verses. And it's not in order. You say, Mike, it's not in order. Why didn't he start with that? Because they already knew it. This is a reminder. But here's what we do. We forget two, one to three, don't we? We forget. We don't think I'm that bad. I couldn't have been that bad. You were that bad. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, you saw us in our orphaned state. You saw us in need. You showed compassion on us. And God, we pray that you will help us to understand the height and depth and breadth and width of your love towards us in Christ Jesus. We pray that we will understand this love and then that we will love like you love. 
that we will be compassionate like you are compassionate. That we will weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Oh, Father, give us hearts that love people. At the same time, help us, Lord, to trust you knowing that you are a just and holy God. You are at your throne and you are in control of everything. We cry out, Abba, Father, please save. Please save our relatives that don't know you. Please save our children that don't know you. Please save our neighbors that don't know you. Please save our community that does not know you. Please save God if there's any in this room that is dead in their sin. Oh God, please make them alive. Help them, Lord. Give them faith. Show them their sin. Help them, Lord. Come out of the domain of darkness. Be transformed by you. We love you, Father. We commit this day to you. We pray that your name will be exalted in all of our conversations. We pray this in Jesus' name.